It is really great to see you guys. How about we start with this? How about a hand for our praise team tonight? Just bringing it. Just uh, doing an awesome, awesome job. So last week, we began a brand new sermon series. It's, uh, I'll give you the, the logo right here. It's, uh, it's, called, it's called Follow Me. I'll say follow. You say me. Here we go. Follow. Follow me. It's a, it's a simple statement from Jesus. 26 times in the, in the New Testament, Jesus says something about following me. Really, our, our, our question about this topic, uh, you might be wondering, Pastor Tom, why are we studying this idea of following Jesus? And really, it's for two reasons that we're studying it right now. And number one is very simply this. We are, we are working our way towards uh, an, an Easter weekend, a weekend when we, those who follow Jesus, celebrate that he died and that he came to life. And so we are, we are literally, that, that was kind of good, actually. Good job, you guys. Uh, we are literally preparing our hearts for that moment in time. My, my job as, as the pastor here is to prepare your heart to fully worship Jesus on that Easter Sunday. So we're, we're getting there. We're, we're talking about Jesus and what he said and, and what it means. But second of all, we're, we're studying this topic of follow me because it is compelling. It actually, it actually does illuminate for us something incredibly important, that there is this thing called believing in Jesus, which is actually very different than following Jesus. Now, following him, it means something very specific. And, and really, the two questions for us about this topic of following Jesus, number one simply is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean in the 26 times that Jesus says, follow me? And what does it mean for us in, in 2024 attempting to follow Jesus? And then second of all, there's, there's a question. How do we do it tangibly in this life, in this moment, in, in trapped in space and time? How do we follow Jesus? Now, if you look at those 26 times that the phrase is used, follow me, what you find is that there are, you can kind of divide them into two categories. And category one are stories, what I call, I call them follow me stories. It's a story, a narrative in the Bible where Jesus says to someone, follow me, and then they have to respond. And some of them respond well, and some of them don't respond well. And then there are, the second category is what I call follow me statements. Jesus says, those who follow me, and then he makes a statement about what it means to follow him or how we follow him, or, or just, he just says things that, that help us understand what he means to follow him. So this week and next week, we're gonna be focusing on a follow me story. And then the, the, the third weekend, we're gonna be focusing on those follow me statements. What do the statements say and how do they help us do it? Now today, I'm gonna be sharing with you a follow me story that is just really, really one of my favorites. And I think it's one of my favorites because when I read it, it's still to this day, it shocks me when I read the power of this verse. Now, I did share this verse when I was preaching at Turning Point a couple of weeks ago. This is a different sermon than that sermon, but the verse is the same. It's Matthew 9.9. And Matthew 9.9 is one, a one verse, follow me story that is shocking if you read it for what it actually says. Here's, here's one verse, one follow me story. Here's what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Now, this is Matthew who wrote Matthew is talking about himself. So Matthew could have said, Jesus came along and he saw me, but he didn't say that. He's, just, he's writing in kind of third person here. A man named Matthew sitting, very important detail, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Jesus says two words to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. This is an amazing 
amazing story. I don't think until you get into it, until you understand what's happening, it is really a shocking, shocking thing. We, we, have, we are not led to believe there is any relationship between Matthew and Jesus. We are, in fact, led to believe this might be the very first time that Matthew sees Jesus. And he sees him, and Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew drops everything, gets up, and follows him, completely changing his life. The first fill-in is, is one reason why this story is gripping and powerful. The story demonstrates to us the inspiring power of immediate obedience. Think about that. The immediate obedience. Two words that change Matthew's life forever. Follow me. Boom. It's all changed. I would just submit to you, my good friends who I love very much, we do not live in a world that has a lot of immediate obedience. For example, in my house, I have a beautiful thing in my house called my chair. This is my chair in my house. Next to my chair is my wife's chair. It's her chair and my chair. His and her chairs identical to each other. Unfortunately, we had children. <laughs> Not unfortunately. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's good to have kids probably. Um, but I have two college-age daughters, right? One, one older and married, two college-age daughters. And when they come home from college, guess where they like to place themselves? In my house. They like to sit in my chair. Emulating Jesus, I often say to them two words. I walk in, I see them, and I say two words. Get up. But you know what I rarely find is immediate obedience. Very recently, one of my daughters, I won't say her name, Olivia, said to me, Dad, there's a whole couch right, there's a whole couch right there. I said, my chair, get up. <laughs> let me finish my snack. Let me, let me, yeah, you can eat in my chair, please, no. Right? Immediate obedience is not something you see often in our world. And I'm gonna just say this to you, and I, I, hope you, I, I hope it hits you in the right way. A lot of times we, let's be honest, a lot of times we may feel led by God to say something, do something, and we don't always have immediate obedience in our lives. Am I right about that? How many of you guys would raise your hand and agree that sometimes you feel led by God to do something, but it takes you a while. You lack immediate obedience in your life. Can you raise your hand? Can you agree to that? Yeah, absolutely. Lots of you. Lots of you can. Immediate obedience is a powerful, powerful thing. So my question for you right off the bat here is why? What, what, are we, what can we learn about following Jesus by seeing the example of Matthew who is like, boom, yes, you say it, I do it. You say, jump Jesus, I say, how high? Now, some believe that it is literally the power of Jesus' presence. Just his presence, his physical power of his presence, what I call the, the magnetism of the power of Jesus. And when I say some, I'm speaking very specifically about someone I, I deeply, I, I enjoy reading, I, I, I like understanding about, and, and that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, German theologian, uh, put to death by Hitler in World War II, but he wrote this amazing book called The Cost of Discipleship. And the book is actually a series of his sermons, and he has an entire sermon based on Matthew 9.9. He actually takes the, uh, the, the Luke version of the story, but it's the same story about Matthew. And, and this sermon about it, he says exactly what it is. Bonhoeffer says this. Bonhoeffer says, it is Jesus who calls. And because it is Jesus, Matthew follows at once. This encounter is a testimony to the absolute, direct, and unconditional authority of Jesus. Now, we just sang about this. Exact thing. 
We sang, we sang, we sang about a beautiful name. You have no rival. You have no equal. You have the power, Jesus, the power of your presence is incredible. Don't raise your hand, but, but many of you know that magnetism of Jesus or, or for you, it's, you see other people and you're like, wow, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have the faith to follow Jesus like they follow Jesus, but you, you feel the power. I, I remember one time I was in high school and I was at a, a youth retreat. I was a, uh, we, we were in Tennessee. I was, uh, this church had just been planted, just started this church and the youth group was in its infancy. But we went down to a retreat in Tennessee and I remember there was like this powerful worship time. There's hundreds of teenagers singing and, and worshiping God and, and this preacher came up and he was like going at it. And I don't know, I honestly to this day, I do not know what happened, but he said something and hundreds of us went to the altar and knelt down and prayed to rededicate ourselves to Christ. And I didn't think, should I go up? I don't know. I had immediate obedience. He said it. I was up before I even knew it. I'm like, why are my feet? I had no idea. It was the power of Jesus pulling me. Maybe you've had that experience. The, The power of Jesus just changing your life, just pulling you. In some, in some amazing way. So, so is that it? I mean, look, look at it again. Here it is. Matthew 9, 9, follow me. And Matthew got up. Oh, it's awesome. By the way, the sermon title is Get Up. That's our sermon title tonight. Matthew got up. There's no, there's no pause. There's no let me consider it. There's no let me think about it. Let me evaluate. You know, Jesus, I'm, I'm actually rather wealthy. I'm a, I'm a wealthy tax collector. No, not at all. So the question is on the table right now, is this story about the powerful presence of Jesus or is this story about the desperation in Matthew's heart? You know, Matthew's sitting at the tax collector's booth and, and, and we know some things about tax collectors. We know tax collectors were appointed by the Romans and, and so they often would, would, would actually get their salary by cheating the people who came through. Tax collectors were despised. There was a rabbi, a contemporary of Jesus who actually said, this rabbi said, tax collectors should be viewed as murderers and thieves. They're the same level. They're murderers, they're thieves because they steal our money. They're murderers because people starve to death because the tax collectors take their money and they can't buy food. They should be seen as thieves and murderers. We do know tax collectors, when the, when the Jewish tax collectors, Jewish men became tax collectors, they were immediately excommunicated from the synagogue. You can never come to the synagogue again. You are not welcome. Imagine the desperation that might've been in Matthew's heart. Do, can, we, can we learn any more about this? And I think so. Now this story, the story of Matthew 9, 9 actually occurs in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And we're gonna briefly look at all three of them tonight. But the Luke version opens our eyes to see more about following him and, and more context perhaps is there. So let's jump into it. And this is two verses, not one. Uh, Mark 12, 14. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him. And, and he began to teach them. Look at verse 14. And as he walked along, so here's the picture. There's a crowd behind Jesus and he's walking and teaching. He's, he's maybe like a tour guide walking backwards or we don't know how he's doing it, but he's walking and he's teaching and they're all of the crowd, the entire crowd is following him. Look at verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Now it's the same story, but we, we have details here. 
The first detail that you notice is that, okay, now we have some context. There's a crowd. So let me me show you this thing. There's a whole crowd following Jesus, but Jesus goes to the one person who is not following him, and he says, follow me. And we don't know why. Was it a look on Matthew's face? Was Matthew crying in the tax collector's book, looking longingly at the crowd and all these people are following Jesus, but, but here I am, I can't. Is that why Jesus goes to Matthew? He's the only one not following him? A lot more details are in this version, the Mark version, that teach us some things. Right away, you saw, you saw something. This is really great for you to understand what's happening. He says, uh, Levi, son of Alphaeus, and that's really important that you get that. That tells you right away as you're reading this story that Mark knew people who will read what I'm writing, they know Alphaeus. They know Levi. They know who Levi is. They know Alphaeus. I'm giving them tangible details that authenticate this story as totally true. This is not presented as a fairy tale. It's not given to us as a, as a, here's a, here's a story that never happened. No, this is rooted in facts. Levi, son of Alphaeus. They knew Alphaeus. Okay, yeah, okay. He's got three sons. Another one of his sons is, is James. We know that from a later verse in the Bible. But, but Levi, son of Alphaeus, is also important to know because you're probably wondering, hey, Pastor Tom, why does Matthew have two names? So, well, let me tell you. I'll tell you clearly and easily. Everyone in this time had two names. All Jews in Palestine in the first century had two names. They had the name they were given at birth, the Hebrew name, and they had the Roman name. The, the Romans controlled their country and, the, and the, the Romans forced them to have these Roman names and they had Hebrew names and they had Roman names. And Matthew's Hebrew name is Levi. And the, the Hebrew name Levi tells us tons about this tax collector. You would never name someone Levi unless they were from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites, by the way, that tribe of Levites were to be priests of the temple. They were not given land in Israel like every other tribe. They were were given the task of ministering to God in the temple. And so the horrible irony of our understanding is that someone who should be in the temple ministering to God has been excommunicated from the temple. Levi is the son of Alphaeus, but Alphaeus would no longer speak to his son. He's been excommunicated from the synagogue, kicked out of his family. And Matthew, no doubt, has a desperate need. Man, I, I want my family back. I, I am, perhaps Matthew, I would suggest to you, is at the bottom. He's desperate. There's a desperation in his heart. And really, that's the best time to begin following Jesus. How many would say, raise your hand, that you came to Christ or grew strongly in your faith, if you have faith, in a moment of desperation in your life. Just raise your hand. That moment of desperation calls us. Tim Keller wrote a book about Jonah. And in that book, he talks about this moment of desperation. He says this, Abraham, Joseph, David, Elijah, and Peter all became powerful leaders, listen, through failure and suffering. Countless Christians can attest to the same experience. It is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted that you are finally open to learn how to completely depend on God. As is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Amen? Was that Matthew at that moment? That moment of all he had, he had nothing. He had money. We, we know tax collectors were wealthy. 
Actually, you could probably really easily contrast this story with the story of a rich young ruler because Matthew is young and Matthew is rich, just like that rich young ruler story we have, a follow me story as well. I'm not going there tonight, but you could do it. Matthew's wealthy. He, he has power. He has privilege, but he has emptiness and he has pain. How, how about you tonight? Are, are you at that place? Can, can, you, can you awaken to the emptiness and the pain in your own life? Can you open your eyes to the need that you have for Jesus to come and lead you that you might follow him? We're gonna go ahead right now and lower the lights down. The question on the table is, uh, is it Jesus? Is it about Jesus or is it about Matthew that creates the immediate obedience? And we're gonna watch a real short clip from The Chosen that depicts this very story we're talking about tonight. Now, here's the deal on The, on the Chosen. 80% of people I talk to love The Chosen. 10% don't know what it is and 5% hate it. And if you're a Chosen hater, let me just say, it's a dramatization. They're not claiming, it's word for word. It's a dramatization of a biblical story. Let's watch the dramatization and see. You watch. Is it Jesus? Is it Matthew? Here's the story. There's Matthew. There's Jesus. He's walking by. Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. Okay, so you saw it. A smattering of applause across the room. So here's the question on the table right now for us. Is it the power of Jesus' presence or Matthew's desperate need for change? I'm gonna weigh in right now. Is it Jesus? Is it Matthew? Jesus, Matthew, Matthew, Jesus, both. I say both, and here's why. Jesus' power and our need propels us to follow him. So if you're lacking some motivation tonight to follow Jesus, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know, it feels hard and, and I, following him is a lot harder than just believing in him or, or following him is harder than not following him, then I would say to you, think about Jesus' power 
and think about your need for what Jesus can do in your life. What Matthew needed more than anything else was a fresh start and redemption. And that's what Jesus offers every time, a fresh start and redemption. Look at it again, look at it again. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up. Oh, it's so awesome. Got up and followed him. Follow me is the, is the two words. Now the, the, the chosen clip, I like it. I'm not gonna say I don't like it. I like it, but you know what? Follow me is, is just the two words that Jesus said. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? How, how does it affect your life? How does it apply to you? Question, raise your hand, please. Who would say in this room, I am attempting, I have decided to follow Jesus? Just raise your hand right now. I'm, I'm doing it, Pastor Tom. I'm trying to follow Jesus. What does it mean? I think there are four basic things that it means to follow Jesus. I'm gonna hit all four of them right now tonight uh, to end out this sermon. Four basic things. Four basic things that Matthew understood and that Matthew agreed to when he got up to follow Jesus. And this applies to you, it applies to me, it's how we follow him, it's how the disciples followed him. It is four things about following Jesus. Number one, following him is a call to action. Following him is really, it's, it calls us to, to active, not passive faith. And here's, here's the activity. It involves pursuing Jesus and allowing him to lead us. Now think about that for a second. It doesn't mean you're living off your own instincts. It doesn't mean you're living off what you think might be right. There's a way to live that is not following Jesus, which is to say, I'll, I'll basically, I'll try and be a good person. I'll try and follow the Bible. But when things come up, I'll lead my own life. And then there's following Jesus, which says, you know what? I, I need to be led. I have to pursue Jesus in his word. I've got to learn about him, understand him. I've got to worship. I've got to pray. I've got to lean in and ask him, how are you leading me? How are you leading me? Now, when it comes to that question of Jesus leading our lives, I can tell you one thing. I'll, I'll, I'll just be very honest with you. There are right now four things in my life that I have perceived that Jesus is leading me to do. And it's a question I have for him. What are you leading me to do? What are you leading me in? Because I know if you're not leading me, I don't wanna do it. But if you are leading me, then I, I know you're gonna supply the energy, the power, the results that we need. One of those four things was a question that we had for, for over nine months in our church leadership. Do we, do we add a service on Sunday morning or do we not? We prayed, we, we, we leaned in, we talked, we discussed, we prayed some more. And we, and we heard it, we heard that voice of God saying, yes, follow me. Take the step of obedience and step out. Another place that I am personally being led by Christ, and I mentioned this last week, I, I, I got a book, I'm reading it, but the call to do it came first. And I, I mentioned this last week, the book's called An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. Read the, I'm reading a chapter a day in this book and I'm taking time. This sounds so crazy, doesn't it? So counterintuitive. I, I, am, I am, as a person, I am geared for productivity. I am, ooh, give me a to-do list and I will consume it like a lion. <laughs> Going into silence and solitude is the opposite of productivity. It means you, you're gonna hear nothing. It's silent and you're all alone. The only thing there when I go into silence and solitude is my dog and he often just sleeps. 
Silence and solitude is a place you go to meet with God, a place you go to offer all of yourself to God in silence. You don't even really pray. You just, you just make yourself available for God's presence. But in, in the book I'm reading about silence and solitude, there's a quote by the author that actually, uh, that actually does a good job of, of revealing to us uh, something about letting him lead us. And the quote begins like this. The things we most need to know, solve, and figure out will be understood. Okay, she's gonna give us a big answer. How about for you on this? How many of you here, raise your hand to think about it first. There is something right now in your life, I'm gonna raise my hand, that you need to know, you need to solve, or you need to figure out. Is there something in your life like that right now? Just raise your hand. So how would you answer this question? The things we need to know, solve, and figure out will be understood if we ask someone who knows, if we Google it. If we take the time to ponder and wonder, here's what she says, the answer is, she says this, as we quiet ourselves and listen to that place within us where God's spirit witnesses to our spirit, that's being led. That's being, I, I gotta know something, figure something out. I gotta understand something. And so I quiet myself to hear the Lord Jesus speak. He's leading us. And so we follow him. Number one, it's primarily active. Matthew, you saw it. Matthew got up and followed him. Following him is active, not passive. And number two, the four things. Four things it means to follow Jesus. Number one, it's active. Number two, it's, it's here's number two. It's a call to his mission and adventure. It's a call that says, Jesus will lead me to impact other people. And I know that. You know, this week, on, on Thursday this week, I uh, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Liz, she drove out and, and Liz and I had coffee. We ran, we ran a mile together. Uh, I'd already run seven other miles, but she and I ran a mile together and, and we got coffee and we spent time together. We talked about something in her life. She's 25. She just got married last summer. Some of you might remember that my daughter actually led worship at this service some years ago. Well, you know, uh, she lives in Clintonville now in Columbus and she's been contacted there by someone planting a church in Clintonville. And that person had by God's divine hand done a retreat where my daughter led worship and he preached years and years ago. And you remember my daughter? And he got a hold of her and he said, uh, we're planting a church. Would you be the worship leader for our brand new church? And my daughter's ecstatic about it. She's excited about it. We're, we're walking and talking about what it means to plant a church. And she's asking me, dad, what do you know about planting churches? And I know you've planted a bunch of them and blah, blah, blah. And I said, number one thing, Liz, it's exciting. And she said, oh, it's so exciting. It's the adventure, the adventure of what God's gonna do and what's gonna happen and how it's gonna grow. And, and she's, she's so excited. I hope you feel the same way about your faith. I feel the same way that, that I'm following Jesus. He's leading me to impact others and it's always an adventure. You know, I, I had a, a little mini adventure a few weeks ago. I met a young woman who I'd never talked to before but she was here to get baptized. And I met with her to make sure she was ready for baptism. And I heard her story. And I said, we gotta put this story on video. Hey, you're all about to enter a little adventure as you see a life changed. A young, a young, young high school student, 17 years old, who has begun now following Jesus. Lower the lights, please, if you don't mind. And uh, here's, here's Danica. And this is Danica's story. Here she is. My name is Danica Boyce. And this is the story how I came to follow Jesus. Um, as a kid, I didn't grow up in church at all. Um, I actually had a very traumatic event happen, which made me kind of go away from God. When I was nine years old, I was staying with my grandma and we were sleeping in the same bed. I couldn't sleep by myself, I was nine years old. And when I woke up, um, she had actually passed that night and she was no longer with us. And it was just hard for me to believe that a God would 
let that happen to me. About three years ago, I started dating my boyfriend Connor and he grew up in a very Christian home and he would talk to me about God and play Christian music and that really made me feel something I had never felt before. One morning I woke up and it was just an undeniable presence of God over me. I don't even know how I knew it was God except I just knew it was, like I have no way to explain it. I downloaded a Bible app and I made a Christian playlist for myself with songs that I found that I liked and started listening to those and all of that just kind of elevated that feeling further. Uh, I met Josie Johnson about a year ago um, through school and work and I would see her with her Spring Hills um, app. She plays the bass and stuff here. So I asked her, you know, can I come to a service? And she was like, of course. So she sits next to me and I've been coming ever since. And she's been very supportive through this whole journey at Spring Hills. Um, I accepted Christ and then about three weeks ago, I was baptized. And one of the really cool things was my friend Josie actually got to help me um, in the water and she was in there with Pastor Tom to baptize me. So it was really cool to be able to have a close friend with me to experience that. It was just an indescribable feeling really, but it just felt like, the way I describe it is like locked in. You feel like you are all in you are drenched in it. <laughs> so if you're sitting there feeling stuck, like you have no hope, I encourage you to go out and follow Jesus. Um, it's completely changed my life. How about a hand for Danica and just uh, telling her story. And it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure to see God change lives, especially when you're involved in that. And, and number three of four, four things, four basic things. Number one, it's active. Number two, it's his mission and adventure he's calling you to. And, and number three, really simply, it's, it's a call to deep relationships. Let me say it again. Following Jesus, the call to follow him is a call to deep relationships. And the very first deep relationship is your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're following him, it's very different than just believing about him or thinking about him occasionally. When you, when you follow him, attempting to follow Jesus will build a close intimate relationship with him because you're directly asking him, how are you leading me? What, what are you leading me to do? How are, how are you, Jesus, working in my life? What can I do? I'm, I'm seeking your will. I'm asking myself what to do and how to follow you. Where are you leading me in this specific time in my life? Now I would just say, uh, had a, another moment this week where I just felt the strong presence of God leading me. It's a there's a, a couple that attended church here for a good number of years, just great, awesome people. And unfortunately she had cancer, the wife had cancer. And, and last year she, she passed away. And I, 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 for some reason, I wasn't thinking about them, but I was driving to church here and I, I was overwhelmed by God, overwhelmed by God to reach out to him and just check in on him. I, I can't tell you how strong the feeling was. And uh, I, you know, I, I even stopped my car to grab my phone, didn't get, even get to church to text him. I stopped my car. It was so compelled, so led by Jesus to reach out to him. And I texted him and I said, hey, how about an update? I'm praying for you. Are you okay? And I had no idea I was texting him the day before the one year anniversary of his wife's death. He sent me a picture of her in hospice and me praying with her in hospice. And, and he said, he said, this is one of my favorite, favorite pictures. And I remembered that moment of her passing. And I just, I was so thankful to God that, that he prompted me, that he led me just in that moment to reach out, to care, to show love. 
That's, that's an intimate connection that you build with Jesus when you're saying to him, lead me, lead me, show me. Following Jesus is about deep, intimate relationships, first with him, but, but also with others. You know, last week in the service, we, we actually sang this, this song. I'm just gonna show you a little bit of it. I have decided to follow Jesus. We sang this song last week, and, and as we sang it last week, we sang the verses, and, and I heard one of the verses, and I thought that's interesting. I understand this verse, but, but I have an interesting take on it. Here's, here's the verse I'm talking about. Don't men go with me, still I will follow. So as you, as you hear that, though none go with me, still I will follow. I think, the, I think the person that wrote that song was in, literally envisioning, literally envisioning a moment like this, a church service where, where, where a pastor's gonna say, if you wanna follow Jesus, come forward. And, and you're thinking, if I'm the only one in the room, I don't care. But the reality is this, the reality is this, that there never will it be, no one goes with you. When you are following Jesus, when you're following him, there's so many other people also following him. And when you're following him and others are following him, you have an intimate, intimate connection with him in your life. Look at the relational element of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason, Paul says, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord and will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything that I teach in every church. And what he's saying is, here's how you're gonna learn to follow Jesus. It's relational. It's a relational thing. You're gonna follow Timothy, who followed me, and I followed Jesus, and you're gonna learn what it means. It's relational at its core to follow Christ. We also just learned, fill in number two. We need to understand that following Jesus is a way of life. It is. It's not something small. It's not something little. It's not adding a five-minute devotion on the beginning of your day, not at all. It isn't something small. It's everything to follow Jesus. It's a way of life and a way that you live. Four things, four basic things. And the last one I'll, I'll just point out to you from the story we're studying tonight. Look, look at Matthew 9.9. Matthew, I love it. Matthew got up. I'll say got, you say up. Here we go. Got, got up. Oh, I love it. Matthew got up, immediate obedience. He got up. And he followed him, or, or actually in Mark's version, he says the same thing. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi, also Matthew, got up and followed him. But in Luke's version of the story, Luke adds one detail, which is the fourth basic thing about following Jesus. And the one detail Luke adds is this. After this, Jesus saw, went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now we just read, he got up and followed him. But look what Luke says. He got up, left everything and followed him. To follow Jesus, it does mean leaving everything. The moment you decide to follow Jesus, you're leaving behind leading yourself. You're leaving behind in many cases, relationships which drag you away from Christ. I mentioned last week that I'm, I'm reading this book by David Platt called Follow Me. And this book by David Platt, uh, he, he has a quote in the book and I'll just show it to you real briefly. He says this, my prayer is that people will see that following Jesus costs you everything you are and everything you have. And my prayer is that people will see that following Jesus is more than worth it. 
Just think about that. It costs you everything. It costs Matthew everything. It costs Peter everything. It costs me. When I decided to follow Jesus, it cost, it cost me my entire future that I had planned for myself. But you know what? It's more than worth it to follow Jesus. That's why the last line of that song, the last line which simply says, Behind me, the cross before me. That's exactly what it's like. The world behind us, the cross before us. You put the world away to follow Jesus. And here's the last fill-in. And this is gonna be hard to write. I want you to fully understand what this is. It's gonna be hard to write, but you gotta understand it. Here's number three. Following Jesus involves abandoning all affection for this world so Jesus can be the center of your life. Think about it. Following Jesus involves abandoning all affection for this world. Nothing in this world, in your heart, can rise above Jesus being the center of your life. Now, I'm not saying you can't have joy, have fun, have a great day. I'm not saying, don't watch the Super Bowl, you might smile. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying nothing in this world, no affection in this world is allowed to come above you, making Jesus the center of your life. Would you all bow your heads with me just now? The praise team is gonna actually play that very section of that hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus, the world behind me, the cross before me. And I'm gonna invite you right now to do something kind of dramatic, but I, I'm just asking you, don't do it if it's not true. As the praise team plays this and you would say, you know what, that is my intention, to follow Jesus, to, to, to abandon all affection for this world, so Jesus can be the center of my life, that I want you to contemplate that and I want you to stand. And as you stand, you are saying, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. Father God, I pray in these moments, we can have clarity of thought, clarity of mind to tonight make a tangible decision that it's active, it's about your mission. It's about deep relationships with others and God, it's about abandoning our affection for this world, that Jesus can be the center of our lives. We're gonna begin singing right now. Just keep your heads bowed. You can sing, and when you would say yes in your heart, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. Just stand as a testimony to that moment in your life. Go ahead, team. Behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. stand strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings 
Yeah.